This is Live Well Talk on Knowing Your Numbers to Prevent Heart Disease. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at Union Point Health, St. Luke's Hospital. Heart disease is the leading cause of death in the United States, yet many people have no symptoms. To prevent a cardiac event from affecting your life, it is essential to learn what puts you at risk of developing heart disease and how to keep it from occurring. Knowing your numbers and maintaining a healthy lifestyle can naturally help prevent heart disease. Today, we are delving into what exactly those numbers are, how to maintain them naturally, and how to impact your heart health. Joining me to talk about this is cardiologist Dr. Richard Kettlecamp from Unipoint Health, Cedar Rapids Heart and Vascular Institute, as well as St. Luke's Cardiology. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this topic today. Glad to be here, Dustin. What do we mean by by the numbers? Need to know your numbers, by the numbers. Sure. So when you're thinking about cardiovascular health, you think about, well, you know, what is my blood pressure? What's my cholesterol level? What's my BMI? What's my weight? You know, those sorts of things are important because they impact your, your health overall, but also impacts your heart health. What should my blood pressure be? So blood pressure arguably should be at rest when you're relaxed and you're not stressed about something. should be about 120 or less. And that's the big number. That's systolic number. And ideally, your diastolic number, which is a small one, should be less at 80 or less. We're, we consider borderline uh, blood pressure in the range of 120 to 129. So we start and, thinking about what to do about and, it at that point. You know, that, that borderline, that's like being half pregnant. I mean, you either have high blood pressure or you don't. So how long can someone be borderline? I mean, I, I don't think borderline is something diagnosed you'd want to carry for like 10 years. Uh, what, in your opinion, when do you say, well, this is, this is no longer borderline. We need to treat this. Right. So if I see a patient who has that sort of borderline blood pressure and, and we talk about it and we say, okay, here's the things we can do to try to affect that. And there are things that we can all do to try to lower our blood pressure. And, and we give them a shot. Let's, let's, let's do that for six months and see how you do three to six months. And if we can impact it that way, fantastic. If not, then I think it's time to start thinking about maybe first line blood pressure meds. So if a if patient has exhausted the, you know, quit smoking and, and lost weight, but yet they're still having a high blood pressure, then it's time to treat with the medication. I think so. Yes. Now, is it still true that most patients take multiple medications at lower doses rather than one medication at a high dose? Uh, that was reported a couple of years ago. Is that still true? Tends to be. Yeah. It tends to be easier, uh, better tolerated. Okay. Well, one of the, probably the most important number that we need to talk about uh, before we get to cholesterol and its influence on heart disease is Number of cigarettes you smoke a day. That's probably the most important number. And we want everybody to be zero. Right? I think zero is a good one for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People try to rationalize that, uh, you know, small doses of moder- moderation of alcohol is beneficial to health. And there's various studies that have proven that. Uh, but there's just nothing that indicates people should not smoke, should they? That's right. There is no, there, it's unequivocal. Yeah. Smoking is not good for you. And there are multiple things. You know, it's not cardiovascular alone, but obviously pulmonary. Uh, you know, there's so many connections to, to smoking and, and any kind of vascular disease. Um, you know, you name it, it's, a, it's an issue. So smoking is clearly a, a bad thing. Don't do it. Yeah, I've always been kind of perplexed that who thought of, I'm going to light something on fire and inhale the smoke into my lungs. You know, the first guy that did it, I mean, that's kind of bold, if you ask me. Yeah. I imagine it's a cultural thing. It'd be interesting to know what the history of that is. Yeah. But, you, yeah. you know, it's, it goes back to, you know, uh, uh, prehistoric times, I'm sure. Well, you know, first man to eat an oyster was hungry. You know, and that's, <laughs> that's a good point. 
Um, well, cholesterol, that's one good cholesterol, bad cholesterol. How, how does cholesterol influence heart disease? And what should we know about it? So definitely. So cholesterol is one of those modifiable risk factors for coronary disease. And, uh, you know, there's several things that we have, we have control of, but there's a lot of things we don't. And at least cholesterol is one of those. So knowing your cholesterol numbers is helpful because you can impact that. You know, we, we talk about cholesterol as an aggregate of all the different, you know, good cholesterol, bad cholesterol, triglycerides, and so forth. But a total cholesterol of 200 is considered to be kind of right there where you want to maintain 200 or less as a total cholesterol. And then we can get more specific about bad cholesterol, good cholesterol, you know, triglycerides. The uh, good and bad cholesterol, I always remember the HDL is the helper cholesterol. Good point. And the LDL is the loser cholesterol, therefore it's the bad. (laughs) So that's one way to keep it straight. That's good. Now, I, I know Dr. Kettlecamp, up until a couple of years ago, it was just get the LDL as low as possible, particularly with people at high risk or had, or have had heart disease. Correct. How has that changed? How are we managing cholesterol differently today than we were five, six years ago? Well, so it is a little bit different. You know, the, the, when you have a patient who has coronary disease, and, and there are these expert panels all across the country that kind of get together occasionally and make recommendations. And the latest recommendation in patients who have diabetes, which is considered a coronary artery disease equivalent, or people who have had a history of heart disease with stents or bypass surgery, absolutely, lower the better is considered to be the the appropriate care. And it's not exactly the group of people we're talking about here in terms of, you know, you want to be preventative. But if we're thinking about secondary prevention for those high-risk populations, coming down from, from the experts is start a person on a high potency statin at the highest dose they can tolerate and never look back. That's, that is the guideline. And so you start a high dose of Crestor, say, and you never check it again because it it really doesn't matter because you don't impact beyond that. There are rare exceptions, but that's the case. So it becomes a little less concrete when you're dealing with people who don't have a history of coronary disease and don't fit that high risk category. And you're really just trying to to reduce your risk. And then the numbers probably have some meaning and some pertinence. And so we start thinking about bad cholesterol, the loser cholesterol. Um, We want the LDL cholesterol to be arguably 100 or less. Uh, We really don't start thinking about treatment until it's 140 or or, or higher. We don't start thinking about medications. Um, HDL cholesterol is a little bit harder number to move exercise, diet impacts it to some degree. Omega-3 fatty acids can help with HDL cholesterol, but you'd ideally like to get your HDL cholesterol above 40. And that has a large genetic component to it, doesn't it? It does. The HDL compared to others. You bet. Right. Yeah. There's these pockets of super uh, healthy people all over the world or what they call blue zones. And one one of the arguments that these people live so long is because they have this, you know, fancy high HDL cholesterol level or the Milano cholesterol, they call it, uh, HDL Milano, is one example. And it's interesting with these people, there's a higher number of centurions in these little communities. And one of the things that points to that is their HDL levels. So it's genetic to some so degree. So they're not eating the Milano cookies from Hickory Farms? That's right. Unfortunately, that doesn't okay. work. Okay. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> scratch that treatment plan. <laughs> yeah, I, I would always tell patients that Heart disease is kind of, in your family history, is kind of like a, a firearm. 
a gun. Mm -hmm. And your family history is the gun itself, which is not dangerous if it's not loaded. Yeah, good point. You know, and then then when you smoke, you put a bullet in the chamber, maybe two. Mm -hmm. You add type two diabetes. You add hypertension. You know that now 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 you have a dangerous scenario. So I, right. I used to tell people that uh, you can change. It isn't a fake complete that you know. Oh, you have a family history of early death, so therefore you will. Right. Uh, there are it is modifiable. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, that's a good point. I mean, people feel frustrated. It's, and 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 actually, the proactive patients I see them all the time. They come in and because you know mom or dad had uh, heart stent in the, in their forties, and they want to be proactive and. Uh, the, the thing that they often will relate is that, well, dad didn't take care of himself. You know, he was overweight, he smoked. And, and so that is extremely important. Diet, exercise, you know, managing your numbers. See, you, you want to diet and exercise enough so then if you do pass away, people go, wow, what happened? Rather than, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, good point. Saw that coming. Yeah. Right, right. You know, you really so, you, wanna... so you really want, yeah, you, that's. That's the, that's the goal, at least the one I have. Uh, so back to weight uh, and exercise, how, how does weight influence coronary artery disease or heart disease, high blood sure. pressure? Sure. Um, well, weight is a, it, it's a complex issue. You know, it, it manifests in lots of ways, right? So, uh, or it has impact in, in multiple ways. There's clearly a connection between high blood pressure and weight, sugar diabetes and weight high cholesterol and weight, they all kind of go together. The other part of weight that's challenging is that it impacts joint health, physical health, ability to get up and move around, get off the couch and do things. That has a sort of cyclic effect, as you can imagine. The more weight you gain, harder it is to do things. Harder it is to do things, the more weight you gain. And so it's a, it's a tough cycle to get out of. Yeah. And it's been dispelled... Um... Just recently, last six months, Annals of Internal Medicine, there's a couple of articles that there's no such thing as healthy fat, you know, or That's fit fat, I think is the right. phrase they use that I think that was, uh, I don't want to say a crutch, but some sort of solace for being overweight, but you're in shape right. and the insulin resistance and the possibility of obstructive sleep apnea, which, as you know, causes, uh, is kind of a silent killer in a lot of respects. You bet. You know, that that, that happens. Sure. The, the cholesterol medications, you mentioned the statins, the HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors, they're expensive. Yes. Well, and the statins, um, maybe not so much the statins anymore. You know, that's the good news. Um, the potent statins that in particular, Lipitor and Crestor would be the two, you know, name brand examples that um, thankfully those are basically generics now, which oh, okay. is great. So statins really are, are relatively inexpensive. You know, statins get kind of a bad rap in the press, and, and there's a lot written about them. Um, I will say that, you know, people do have some side effects with them, but generally speaking, statins are very well tolerated. They, they're very effective at lowering cholesterol, and they tr truly do impact uh, cardiovascular health. So there's a lot of data to support their use, and that's why they're part of our guidelines. How young would you start a statin? Well, again, it kind of depends on your family history. You know, there's some information in, in pediatrics that statins are appropriate. You know, these are people with, with a familial hypercholesterolemia, so they have these HDL cholesterols of 400 and, or higher. And, and impacting that level early is important. So there is some data in exceptions where you start very young. 
typically we think about statins in terms of your numbers again. So if your HDL cholesterol, excuse me, LDL cholesterol is above 140, then we start thinking about impacting statins if you haven't been able to bring it down with diet and exercise. You also think about first degree relatives. So when did mom or dad start having problems? Yeah, I, I think uh, that you know, young men, I used to call it life insurance, liver disease, because mm-hmm. they get about 25 years old, they get married, they have a mortgage, they have a kid on the way, so then they, you know, they like need some life insurance, and they get their blood drawn, and their liver enzymes are a little elevated from fatty liver, and then they end up in the office for the first time. You know, sure. and we'd talk about it at that time. Yeah. Um, and I always started the statin, but sometimes I thought, wow, you know, I'm committing this 25-year-old to taking this medication without any evidence of what is the long-term side effects. Statins have been out for, well, as long as you and I have been in practice, so over right. 25 years. Any long-term concerns that, that you know of? They used to really be concerned about li- um, liver issues, and um, that really has been debunked. You know, we used to always, every time you check a cholesterol profile, you checked your transaminases. Right. And uh, we don't do that anymore. You know, it's really the, the effect, liver issues are, are almost um, a non-issue. And so they're very safe. Uh, the, the biggest issue with statins really are the muscle aches and pains that, a patient, that occasionally patients have. But aside from that, there, there really isn't a big downside to statins. Okay. The other medications... Or you mentioned fish oil, mm-hmm. and and how is that? Is all fish oil the same? I think I did. I see something. Uh, you know, I I try to manage most of my practice by watching television ads these days. You know, because <laughs> they're so informative. But isn't there a prescription fish oil now for like triglycerides? Did I see that the other day? There is. Yep. So there's there's a prescription strength triglycerides, and in in essence, that is a little bit con- more concentrated, so the pill is smaller. So that's okay. the big the big difference. There was actually an interesting article. It was I bet it was over ten years ago that was that was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine about fish oil. It was specifically looking at brands across you know the spectrum. So there were fish oil tablets from uh, Walgreens, from Target, from uh, Costco, and they looked at a few things. They looked to see does the fish oil is it actually the, in the concentration they claim it is. Were there any toxins, i.e., in particular, heavy metals, because you worry about that with fish? And uh, there were a couple other variables, and they looked at cost. And the only variable that had any that was was uh, at all pertinent was cost. Turns out that if they claim they have 1,200 milligrams of fish oil in the concentrations they they claim, it was it was it was that was you know what they claim is true. Uh, there were no toxins. There were no hmm. heavy metals, which is interesting. The, apparently, the process by which they remove the fish, the, the oil from the fish, also removes the heavy metals, which is interesting. Um, so the only variable that had any impact was cost. So that's why I tell patients, buy the cheapest. That, you know, I tell patients that just in general on all supplements. Mm-hmm. Uh, buy the sh- don't buy the Shackley mail-order uh, vitamins. Just Walmart, Hy-Vee brand, just bottom row because vitamin C is vitamin C. Exactly. Good point. Speaking of vitamin C, it, does that have any influence on uh, heart disease? Um, I guess I'm not. You may more, know more about that than I do. I, I haven't heard. Uh, they, there was a thought that, that vitamin E had some impact on heart health, and it doesn't. So that, I, you know, patients used to take vitamin E for, for heart health, but that's sort of been debunked. There was some thought that vitamin E has some impact on uh, for women for breast health, and that may be the case. I, I, I don't really know that that's the case, but vitamin E, not so much. 
vitamin C, you hear about that for cold and right, you know, flu right. and that kind of thing. Well, I, I think the vitamin C in, in the wound clinic is uh, oh, a, a sure. very good supplement because it helps with the cross linkage of collagen as the wound heals. Sure. And we know that from case reports of scurvy uh, oh, yeah. in the Victorian Navy that the sailors would become vitamin C deficient, of course, you know. Sure. And they would, uh, old scars from like 20 years previously would open up wow. because of the collagen would become deficient Interesting. from the vitamin C deficiency. So, I mean, that's, uh, so vitamin C does have some benefit, but I always tell patients, you know, don't spend tons of money on supplements. supplements just, Absolutely. You know. Dr. Kettlecamp, this was great spending time talking about this today. I, I think I feel a little bit more comfortable with, with knowing my numbers and talking about it. And I really appreciate your time. Again, that was Dr. Richard Kellcamp, a cardiologist from Unity Point Health, St. Luke's Cardiology, and Heart and Vascular Institute. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.